It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Wednesday, August 17th. I'm Meredith Reddick, and this is Raven News. A federal judge in Seattle has ruled that the National Marine Fisheries Service violated a key provision of the Endangered Species Act. In 2019, NIMFS published research on the harvest of king salmon in southeast Alaska and failed to address its impact on a small population of killer whales in Puget Sound. U.S. District Court Judge Richard A. Jones on August 8 ordered that an appropriate remedy be found. While that could possibly limit commercial trolling for Chinook in southeast, it will more likely result in a rewrite of the biological opinion that led to the problem. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. U.S. District Court Judge Richard Jones on August 8th granted summary judgment to the plaintiff, the Washington-based Wild Fish Conservancy. The headlines that caromed around the Internet spelled doom for commercial salmon trollers in southeast Alaska. I think we've won the recognition that this fishery was actually causing harm to threaten an endangered species and, for all intents and purposes, was illegal. Kurt Beardsley is the director of special projects for the Conservancy and has been the driving force behind the lawsuit since its inception. The Wild Fish Conservancy filed suit against the National Marine Fisheries Service in March of 2020, arguing the government failed to adequately address the impact of Alaskan king salmon harvests on southern resident killer whales whose population in the Puget Sound area of Washington has dropped to critically low levels. The statistic that the Wild Fish Conservancy repeats most is that 97% of king salmon harvested by southeast Alaska trollers don't originate in Alaska, depriving southern resident killer whales of their primary food source. Matt Donahoe is president of the Alaska Trollers Association. The Alaska Technical Committee says that Less than 2% of the king salmon we catch are from Puget Town. That's fish nerds speak for none. The ATA intervened in the suit along with the state of Alaska. Donahoe trolls for kings in a 100-year-old wooden boat, catching one salmon at a time on a hook and line in a fishery that's meticulously renegotiated with Canada every decade in a document called the Pacific Salmon Treaty. Southeast Alaska's trollers have taken steep reductions in their harvest allocations in the last two treaty rounds in the name of conserving stocks. Donahoe says the Wild Fish Conservancy lawsuit unjustly characterizes Southeast trollers as intercepting fish they're not entitled to. The fish we fish on and have fished on in the troll fishery for over 100 years, and of course the the native and the indigenous people here for thousands of years before that, are a mix of fish. They're from Southeast Alaska, British Columbia, Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. That's all regulated by the Pacific Salmon Treaty. Those fish spend most of their lives in Southeast Alaska waters. Donahoe says it's unfair that Southeast trollers have been singled out in the lawsuit when, in his view, there are far more significant factors at play in the decline of this small population of killer whales, the rapid urbanization of the Puget Sound area, industrial pollutants in the water, large-scale whale-watching, hydroelectric projects. Kurt Beardsley, with the Wild Fish Conservancy, agrees nothing is the only problem. But he doesn't want to let trollers off the hook 
just because the other problems aren't as well understood. Everybody also wants to point to something else <laughs> if, if they happen to get in the crosshairs. The state of Alaska tilts more toward Donahoe's view that it's wrong to pin the decline of endangered species in Puget Sound on the harvest of healthy fish stocks in Alaska. In a news release issued the day after the ruling, Alaska Department of Fish and Game Commissioner Doug Vincent Lang wrote, The state of Alaska abides by the terms of the Pacific Salmon Treaty and the biological opinion that is tied to it, and it is troubling that this ruling singles out our fisheries. We will be looking at our options in the coming weeks. In the meantime, southeast Alaska salmon fisheries will proceed as normal. This is where the lawsuit will likely lead, not to a shutdown of trolling in Alaska, but to a better understanding of what's brought the population of southern resident killer whales, now thought to have around 75 members, to near extinction. Linda Benkin is a noted fisheries advocate in Alaska, an environmentalist, and a troller. She believes it's up to the National Marine Fisheries Service to fix what's broken and try again. Bottom line, the agency needs to write a uh, stronger biological opinion to back up their decision. If the remedy sought now by Judge Jones should somehow stop trolling, Benkin believes it would be a larger loss than the Wild Fish Conservancy imagines. The people who troll are advocates for healthy wild salmon and that a fact of their lawsuit is shutting down the troll fishery. They are losing a strong voice for conservation and a strong voice for taking care of wild stock. Alaska Trollers Association President Matt Donahoe says he's got data indicating that closing the southeast king salmon troll fishery would accomplish nothing for the remaining southern resident killer whales. Again, he says these are not the fish the whales are eating. It's just really discouraging. With all the problems we have in the world, to create problems like this. Kurt Beardsley and the Conservancy want to see king salmon management overhauled and wouldn't mind returning to an earlier era when fish were harvested near their rivers of origin. This is a conversation he thinks they should be having when the U.S. and Canada next sit down to renegotiate the Salmon Treaty. I think they've been too focused on allocating extraction and less focused on recovery. In the meantime, although Judge Jones has granted summary judgment to the Wild Fish Conservancy, the case is far from over. The ruling steers the litigation in a new direction, and all parties now will submit briefs on a remedy that complies with the Endangered Species Act, and preserves the Southeast Alaska Troll Fleet, King Salmon, and the community of 75 killer whales that depends on them. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. Parents in the Anchorage School District are scrambling to figure out how they'll get their kids to school after district officials announce there aren't enough bus drivers to transport all students. Families are turning to social media in search of carpools and other alternatives. Alaska Public Media's Katie Anastas reports. Lindsay Taylor lives in Chugiak and works in the Matanuska Susitna borough. Her daughter is about to start her junior year at Chugiak High School. Without bus service for six weeks, Taylor will have to drive her. So I'm going to be two hours late to work and have to leave two hours early. So I get to work four out of my eight hours, which, like, I'll probably get fired. (laughs) Taylor isn't alone. Parents throughout the district are scrambling to find transportation for their kids after the district announced a severe bus driver shortage. The district divided bus routes into three cohorts. Each cohort will have three weeks of bus service and six without. 
many parents are taking to social media to try and arrange carpools with nearby families. Emily Wetton hosted a live brainstorming session on Facebook Monday night. Taylor joined. Um, Have you made any connections yet by searching either on the search bar or through the topics section? You know, I looked a little bit, but there's not a whole lot of Chugiak people. Wetton helps run a new Facebook group for Anchorage parents seeking carpools. Since it started on Friday night, it's grown to more than 850 members. Most are parents requesting or offering rides to and from school. Others are trying to arrange groups of students to walk or ride bikes together to school. Teachers and school staff are also in the group, posting about after-school programs and even offering to drive kids themselves. Wetton said arranging carpools is especially challenging for parents of young children who've spent their first two years of school in a pandemic. These strong communities that used to exist prior to COVID, there's cracks in them. You know, we're not having sports and we're doing virtual school and all that compounds to all of a sudden, you don't know your neighbors. Wetton says many parents have suggested that full-time bus service should go to schools with the highest need, such as Title I schools. Caitlin Peterson worries about that group, too. She's a private tutor in Anchorage, and she set up the Facebook group after parents asked her for help finding carpools. As a private tutor, I, I see parents that are on the upper end of the income scale. If my parents are worrying about this, this is a crisis for parents in the lower income group. District leaders say the rotating schedule is the most equitable option because it provides some transportation to all students rather than no transportation for 12,000 of them. But Peterson says Title I students stand to lose much more than in-person instruction time. School is also the place where they get their meals, internet access, and time with other trusted adults. Peterson says she's worried about increased absences among all students, regardless of income, and what that could mean for enrollment in Anchorage's public schools. The poor educational outcomes that we have, the more that the ones who want to privatize schools are going to look at it and say, oh, look at these public schools, they're failing. Well, yeah, they're failing because we haven't properly funded them. Philip Walters agrees. He's a parent in the district, and he teaches band at Greening Middle School. He says he hopes this demonstrates the importance of school funding at the state level. When people think about funding schools, they think about paying teachers, and they think about uh, buying books and materials and stuff like that for students, but they don't necessarily always think about bus drivers. The amount of state money the district gets per student hasn't increased in the last seven years. Walters says it was only a matter of time before that started impacting basic school services like busing. If I could have a slightly smaller PFD and guarantee that I'd have a bus for my child to go to and from school every day, then I'd I'd take that in a heartbeat. For now, Walters says his in-laws will drive his kids to school for the next few weeks. But he knows not many parents have that option. In Anchorage, I'm Katie Anastas. I'm Meredith Reddick, and this has been Raven News.